I've got you under my skin. Better than under my feet. <laughs> it is 17 minutes before the hour here on the Dry at Large radio show, and we're pleased, as always, at this time to be joined by our dear friend, Judy Louvier. She's an owner of Seniors Helping Seniors New Hampshire, and she joins us every other Wednesday at this time for our Caring for Seniors segment, Judy. Uh, brings peace of mind to people on the airwaves, just like she does. That's right, uh, just like she does uh, uh, through her through her business, which employs people, seniors, to help seniors with their activities of daily living, and frankly, oh, so much more. So, if you have an elderly loved one, friend, or neighbor that yeah might want to have a little extra help looking in on a little. A professional set of eyeballs that might help you mm-hmm. assess the situation and navigate what are truly thorny issues as right. we face uh, aging uh, loved ones um, with uh, diplomacy, a plum, and total skill. Uh-huh. Uh, then you probably want to check into what Judy does. Seniors Helping Seniors NH.com is where you can learn more. That's Seniors Helping Seniors NH.com. Good morning, That's Judy. That's right. Good morning. How are you? I'm unbelievable. All right. Everybody says That's so, so it must expect. be true. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, w- during the break, we were talking just a little bit about my children on the West Coast. On the left coast, yeah. That's right. And um, they periodically come back east to visit, and we take them to our favorite city restaurants in Manchester. And one of the things that they've noticed recently is how the face of Manchester has changed a little bit in terms of our homeless population um, yeah, and it's our just... – that's right. It's it's concerning. And my, my stepdaughter worked for the Hippo, so she was downtown Manchester for mm-hmm. a year. That was right out of college. And so she was on the streets of Manchester and, and kind of this spring when she visited said, oh, my gosh, it just looks different down here. And I yeah. know she was relating it to the – what we see with drug abuse and everything. And so how is that relevant to caring for seniors? Well, one of the unspoken aspects of drug abuse has actually to do with drug abuse in the elderly and opioid drug abuse. Um, So I wanted to talk a little bit about that today because it's really unseen. Well, and I get get numbers from the Manchester Fire Department every time they release stats. And one of the stats that they release, and I sometimes report on it, but I usually don't, Uh are they've got age groups like 0 to 15, 16 to 24, blah, 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 blah. Uh, The number of people who have had overdoses, the age of people who have had overdoses that they've responded to. There's a surprising number of them over 50. There are. And uh, people uh, don't talk large. about it. People don't see it. And um, we really think when we think, oh, there's a, an addict in our mind, we instantly go, I think, really to the 18 to 25 year old um, and and have a, a an image in our mind. And we really need to realize that we have a problem for our elderly as well. Um so I have a few numbers and then a few thoughts about that, but some things to think about and then some things that, you know, just to raise awareness and then talk a little bit about, you know, what what steps can we help people take. But a third of Medicare patients were prescribed um, opioids in um, this past year. That's 12 million people were prescribed painkillers and 2.7 million of those abused them. Two point wow. seven million. So those out of are how many? Out of twelve million. That's so, a big percentage. That's right. That's one that's six. Right. That's eight. That's almost twenty percent. That's right. A much bigger number than people realize. And obviously, when we say Medicare, for the, by and large, we're talking about people over sixty-five. So this is a much bigger number than people were realizing. Um, we are second only. New Hampshire is second only 
um, to West Virginia in 2015 for prescription opioid deaths. This is prescription. Again, we think mm-hmm. of drug abuse deaths. We think of heroin, fentanyl, but we're still, we also have a problem with prescription. Right. Well, a lot of the deaths. heroin and fentanyl is used after the people have but, been right. hooked on the prescription. That's right. And they, they have to uh, turn. And they're too expensive yeah. or they've been shut off or whatnot. And they have to turn exactly. to something else. That's yeah. right. Um, in New Hampshire is, and in this particular statistic, the lower the number, the better. But we are 28th in the nation for use of antipsychotic drugs in long-term care facilities. So that's not good. We're kind of um, squarely in the middle. The best, the lowest use is in Hawaii and Alaska. Oh, really? And yes, um, and then either, the district where they're either frozen to death or fried that's on right. a beach. <laughs> well, they have such a great lifestyle in Hawaii. <laughs> Hawaii is, has the lowest use, and Alaska has the second lowest use. District of Columbia it was interesting because New York and New Jersey are fairly low in yeah, use. Also, there's something about the culture here, particularly I think in New England and the Northeast. And, and I don't know if this is on point or off point, but I know I've I've taken a look into the prescription of Ritalin. Uh-huh. And it seems to be largely a regional phenomenon. We prescribe that much more often here in yeah. New England than they do anywhere else across the country. And it's like as you move from west to east, the in, it increases in, in frequency, but it's like almost never used out west. And it's almost yeah. always used here. And you have to wonder – I mean for me, I have to wonder both as we look at how we interact and um, assist people with dementia as well as our children with attention issues – um, from a behavioral standpoint versus a drug standpoint. One of the first things I used to hear when I worked in the schools is, oh, he lost his recess because he couldn't sit still. And it's an absurd, what? exactly. And it's, and so then we see, oh, well, they were disruptive in the nursing home, so we medicated them. And, uh, by and large, we have disruptive behaviors with our dementia clients, clients who have dementia, because um, something is wrong in their environment. Often they're bored. Often uh. they can't make sense <laughs> of their environment. So we see pacing and we see efforts to, to escape. We see yeah. wandering, yeah. a desire to elope, we might call it. So um, instead of looking at the behavioral components, how do we change the environment? How do we make this um a more conducive environment to success for whether it's that student or that client resident with dementia. Instead, are we too quick to say, Ooh, what, what medication can that fix this? I'm a drug. That's right. And, um, yeah, so- and, and, and I'll, I'll tell you, I'm actually pretty sensitive to that because as a kid, you know, I, I get pretty good grades uh-huh. in my, in my, subjects in my classes yes. but i was always marginal on the behavior but i can't, there's no <laughs> yes. doubt in my mind yeah. if i were a, if i were an elementary school kid today they would be they would be telling my parents i need to be yeah. medicated yeah and you know what i was just i was active i was engaged i was bored out of my mind yeah. half the time well a quick quick story but my son my son who now is in law school he's a, a decorated marine he um really got almost straight A's in for his bachelor's degree. But in school, he had some issues with regards to attention and executive function and organization. And he said to me the other day, because the he walked into class the first day of eighth grade and the eighth grade math teacher said, uh, Danny, I understand you have trouble paying attention. You need to sit right up here. You do not make friends with an eighth grade student, an eighth grade boy, by pointing him out to everybody in the classroom. He now is in law school. He's doing 
He's <laughs> killing it in his internship with the Department of Public Health in uh, Health and Human Services in California. His internship was with with them, and he just did a phenomenal job. And he called me and he said, if I could go back and visit that teacher and show her what I'm doing now. But everybody just wanted to put him on medication. Yeah. And instead, we need to look at how, what is causing this disruption in either how we learn or how we adapt to our environment when we have dementia or some other challenge. But back to our topic. Um, one of the things we found in the National Safety Council found in a survey in 2016, 99% of physicians prescribed opioids beyond the dosage limit of three days that's recommended by the CDC. So we know these folks are sitting around with more medication than they should have. Yeah. And what we can predict is either they're going to abuse it or their family members or their friends are, are going to have access to, to drugs that they shouldn't have access yeah. to. So we see that. That's a real problem. We need to understand also the dependence sets in within days, within days of use of these medications, it's setting in. Um, we've seen a quintupling, five-time increase over the past two decades of hospitalization for people over 65 due to opioid abuse. So this is really dramatic. Where did this start? One of the things I know when I was working in hospitals and rehabs in the 1990s is People started to pay heavy attention to pain, and you got a tag by on a state survey when they came in. If somebody complained of pain and it wasn't rectified and followed up with a medication within within the hour, so you mm-hmm. had to show that you had somebody complained of pain, you had marked down what number it was. It's six out of ten, eight out of ten, it's twelve out of ten, and um, what you did what you prescribed for it, and then what their reaction was to it. And if it didn't bring the pain down, then you needed to intervene some more with some more medication. So we we also saw that doctors were heavily marketed. In 1995 was when OxyContin was approved by the uh, FDA. Mm-hmm. So we saw heavy marketing for painkillers at that point. And the American Geriatric Society in 2009 actually encouraged opioid prescription for moderate to severe pain. That's the American Geriatric Society. So it turns out there were inadequate studies, and there was an assumption that there was that you would not become addicted if you actually had legitimate pain. And they thought that short-term, long-term use was the same as short-term use. What, That's what, right. What, 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 uh, what kind of stupidity is – I mean, I I'm know. sorry. I don't have alphabet soup after my name, but it doesn't matter whether or not you have an actual need for the drug or not. It's addictive qualities right. and properties are not changed by whether or not you're in pain. That's right. And we've had years of studying geriatric aging symptoms for in terms of how our organs function. And what we know is that our kidney and our liver function slows down. So what happens is these drugs are in the elderly system much longer than it is in some in a younger person's system. And our brain is also increasingly sensitive to these drugs. So one of the things that also happened is people who were showing up in the hospital were often mislabeled as heart failure or falls. But really what it was was and is today is drug abuse. They're stoned. That's right. Right. Exactly. And, and you know, el- elderly res- elderly citizens aren't necessarily sitting there popping pills to get high. They just no. They don't. They, honestly, they don't really know what's going on. That's right. They're trying to manage life. What are the potential triggers? What is it that creates this situation where they're trying to manage their life? Things that will create depression in the elderly are isolation, and we know yeah. that our elderly population, especially in 
public housing feel more isolated, which is interesting. But we know this from populations in inner cities because you live on top of each other. You actually create larger boundaries um, emotionally. So retirement is a trigger for alcoholism Mm -hmm. and drug abuse. Death of a family member, a spouse or a pet. Um, or a close friend. And what happens when you meet somebody who's over 85? One of the first things they'll tell you is, you know, everybody I know is dying. If I've lost my best friend last year, I lost my husband. My sister is gone. It's yeah, just me. I have very, I, uh, yeah, I have a 95 year old cousin. I have a 90 year old grandmother. And yeah, that's right. It's, and it's, it's, it's almost, it's, it's not almost sad. It's, it's sad to watch. That's right. So another trigger is loss of income. Um, a relocation or placement in a nursing home. And here we come back to placement in a nursing home. And all I have to do is say, oh, I'm in pain. I'm too achy to get out of bed. Oh, you know what? We can get you something for that. We have a pill for that. That's right. Hey, come on. We've got a singer coming. Let me get you a pill so we can get you out of bed. Instead of looking at other approaches. Oh, you know what? What if I make you a a cup of tea? And let's see how you're doing in a few minutes. Um, Trouble sleeping, which is one of the top 10 conditions of aging. We all need to wrap our brain around the fact that we aren't going to sleep as well as we age. So we're going to have interrupted sleep. We may need to nap during the day, but we shouldn't become um, the pill popper who says, oop, I don't sleep well. I better take this for sleep. Family conflict is another uh, big issue that will create some need for a sense of a need for help. Um, and whether that's a drug or not, or alcohol, um, and then mental or physical decline, which goes with aging. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to, are you going to wave your finger at me soon, Rich? <laughs> Shortly, yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So um, so what do we do um, here? And, and some of the meds that we want to talk about are, are typical, what we call benzodiazepines, but we hear them prescribed often for anxiety. Um, as well as for pain. So Valium, Clonopin, Ativan, or um, Lorazepam is the same medication as Ativan. Xanax, the elderly complain of anxiety. We see symptoms of anxiety. I'll come back in two weeks and talk about behavioral approaches instead of drug approaches, because we've definitely raised awareness that this is a problem. But if you're aware of a family member or a friend who may be drinking too much, a drink a day should be the maximum or um, that somebody who's elderly is, is having. It's okay to have a drink, depending on their medications. If their doctor has okayed them to have a drink, then one a day is okay. But if they're drinking more than that, there's concern. If they're using those drugs like Valium, Ativan, Clonopin, Xanax on a very regular basis, that's a problem. Um, then see if you can get them to talk to their doctor. They really Embarrassment is probably a, uh, an issue, but we need to help them understand that this this probably didn't start with them. Maybe right. it started with their doctor. Maybe it started with their doctor. That's yeah. right. Judy Lubier, as always, wise words to help us understand what may be happening with our elderly relatives, friends, and neighbors. Be aware, folks, that's half the battle. And as with so much, it's really not the fault of a lot of people who get uh, hooked on drugs. No. It's, uh, you know, well-meaning, perhaps, medical professionals who maybe make a mistake or just don't, just don't, just don't think it through. That's think right. It through. There you go. All right. You Thanks said so it. much. Judy Louvier, Seniors Helping Seniors, NH.com. That's Seniors Helping Seniors, NH.com. Josh, do what you can with what we got left.